If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along uh, with us, we're going to look at Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, at a f- uh, just a few verses, 32 to 43 this morning. I want to read those verses to you, and then we'll pray again, and we'll get into it together. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God. Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, You will be with me in paradise. Father, bless the reading of your words. You think about crucifixion. If you know anything about historically about what crucifixion was, it was designed to be the most heinous, painful, shameful type of execution ever invented. The Romans created this, this way of ex- execution to, to be a deterrent to anyone who would go against them. They, they were, the Romans in that time, in the first century, they were trying to enforce what's been called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That is, peace through force. That is, making sure that they could try to end hostility and they could end the barbarism that was around the world by by coming as a stronger force and putting everyone in place. And so when people wanted to rebel against that, they thought, okay, we need a real good deterrent. And so they invented crucifixion. Crucifixion where they would beat the victim to the point nearly to death sometimes. Crucifixion where they would make the victim carry at least part of his own cross. Crucifixion where they'd strip him naked to shame him. It was a horrible, hideous way to die. And there were tens of thousands of people that were killed this way. None of them Roman citizens, by the way, because it was such a bad means of execution that the Romans wouldn't even kill their own citizens this way. They wouldn't execute their own citizens this way, which is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. But Peter was crucified because he wasn't. It was this hideous thing, and and here we are singing of the glories of this hideous thing. 
And maybe we think, okay, yeah, it was hideous, but Jesus was innocent. We just read it, John. You just read it. Jesus was innocent. Well, let's just be, use some common sense here. Of the tens of thousands of people crucified, do you think there were others that might have been innocent, falsely accused, unjustly executed? Sure. So it's not just that he's innocent, though he was. It's really about that he is good. When we talk about the cross, when we, we call Good Friday good, what makes Good Friday is Jesus. He puts the good in Good Friday. It's him. And we see the goodness of our God, and hopefully we see the willingness of our God to save us through the cross. Because we, we read the story, it's a familiar story, the thief on the cross, we all know about this story. It's a story often read on deathbeds to try to encourage people to confess Christ because God is indeed that gracious to save someone at the last minute. But the story really isn't about the thief on the cross. The story is about God's willingness, Christ's willingness to save the thieves on the cross. So there's three main things I want us to think about this morning, about Jesus. And about his willingness, about the goodness that he shows on the cross. The first is this, he forgives the guilty. If you look at this, if you listen to this, what does he say in verse 32? It's, or what does it say about him? It says in verse 32 and 33 that Jesus, when he's led away to be crucified, he's crucified between these two thieves. These two robbers or criminals, the ESV says. He's right there in the middle. There's something, there's a reason for that. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the Romans were thinking, okay, let's just prove that this guy's just a common thief. Put him in the middle. He's a common criminal like everybody else. Put him in the middle. But God had something in mind as well. In fact, Jesus would, would have said earlier in Luke's, Luke's gospel, in Luke twenty two thirty seven, he would have said, alluding to this time, that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and this is the scripture, he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And he's quoting Isaiah 53, 12, that was, it was basically predicted 700 years before this time that the Messiah, God's servant, would suffer like a common criminal. This is what he's wanting to show. This is the, the innocent one suffering with the guilty. And this is particularly poignant with us this week, isn't it? Because in our church family, we've had some serious things happen. We have one brother who's in the hospital trying to recover from a surgery, back and forth, back and forth. His family needing him and him stuck there by himself too. No one can really go visit him. We have another family who, whose daughter suddenly got ill. Teenage daughter suddenly got ill. And it could be cancer. Whatever it is, it's going to take a serious amount of radiation, blood transfusions, bone marrow transplants. And then we have another child who is in this horrible accident that is, is, is just in critical con condition in the hospital. Parents understandably distraught by what's going on. These are heavy, difficult things. And we look at the cross and we see heavy, difficult things. We, we see, gosh, how, how could the Romans be so cruel? Why does life have to be this cruel? But we can't miss who's hanging up there with these criminals. Jesus, the innocent, suffering with the guilty. Don't misunderstand me. 
the people, our brothers and sisters that I mentioned right now, I'm not mentioning them as the guilty, as if they're more guilty than the rest of us. I'm saying that the innocent one, God himself knows our suffering. He's entered into our suffering. But I want you to also notice in verse 34 that what happens? I mean, Jesus has just been crucified. It's like as soon as he's fastened to the cross, he's praying for forgiveness of those who crucified him. And forgiveness is a huge thing. I've been doing a bit of study in this couple of weeks, last couple of weeks about forgiveness from a, a secular perspective. And from a secular perspective, from looking at certain psychological therapies, forgiveness is about you not being burdened by what's happened to you. So you choose what the offense is, how severe the offense is. You choose to let it go for your sake. And sometimes we can preach forgiveness this way. But here, Jesus isn't saying, Father, forgive them because it's going to make him feel better. There's no release from the pain of the cross. He's saying this, listen, because here he is, he's offering to the guilty a chance to be made innocent. He is saying in front of these soldiers who have crucified him, mocked him, think he's just another weirdo, he's offering them forgiveness, he's offering them innocence. You say, well, innocence and forgiveness, they're not the same thing, are they? Actually, they are. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 3, the author who writes Paul, he says this, yet God in his grace freely makes us right. Literally, that means declares us innocent in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He's referencing the cross. We have an opportunity through the cross of Christ to be declared, in, to be declared innocent. Not just, hey, it's a do-over, start fresh, but an eternal innocence, a position of righteousness because of what Christ suffered on the cross. When he says, Father, forgive them, he's offering that to them. He forgives the guilty. This is how good he is. Let's also not forget that Jesus, as a, as a fully human man as we are, as he's suffering, he's feeling the same physical agony that all the thieves on the cross or anybody on the cross would have felt. And in the moment when he's feeling this, what's he, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about how these guilty people can be set free, rendered innocent. So he forgives the, the guilty. But also, listen, he endures the cynical. Look, look at verse 35. And the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, if he's God's chosen one, if he's the king. Let him save himself. What's interesting about this, when, when these, these uh, religious leaders say this, these are men who knew the, the, the Old Testament scriptures super well, and they would have known Psalm 22 written by their prototype king David. And David writes this about his own persecution. When he was anointed as king, but not reigning as king. He anoints about his own persecution. Listen, he writes this. In Psalm 22, David writes, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for God delights in him. How could they not see what they're doing? 
maybe it's so bad that they're actually mocking him because they know he thinks he's the Messiah, the son of David. The reality is this, listen, what's happening here is as Jesus is enduring this, and we know, listen, from the Gospels, he didn't have to endure this. We know when he was arrested in the garden just, just hours before this, and the soldiers all come up and it's, they ask, are you Jesus? He says, I am, and they all fall on their keisters. Boom, they fall back. With a word, he could have called a legion of angels. With a word, he could have wiped them out. Even on the cross, he could have done that. He doesn't. He endures their mockery and their cynicism. You know why? Because he's exposing what's in their hearts. And the same thing happens with the, the soldiers. What do the soldiers do? It's, it says in verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. This is the kind of drink that they would have drank. It's quenches your thirst. It was kind of like maybe a possibly a mockery once you're, we hope your suffering lasts a bit longer. And saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. We know power. We're Romans. Come on. Now here's what we need to understand, okay, in the exposing of these hearts. These religious people, they're rejecting what they should have recognized. And there's something humbling about that for us, isn't there? For us who, who profess faith in Jesus. We should know better when we say, no, Jesus, you won't be Lord over this, this area of my life. We should know better. But also the, the soldiers, the, the, they're doing is they're, they're rejecting what they don't understand. They don't understand. Either way, they're rejecting. Either way, their hearts are being exposed. But also, listen, this enduring of the cynical, this is for an important reason. In enduring, he's actually, listen, he's actually identifying himself. He's revealing his identity. Look what it says, it says in verse 38. It says, there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Now, this was common for a crucified criminal. They would write his crime and nail it on the cross above his head. This is his crime. Now, now some of your versions uh, say what, what actually John records in John chapter 19 in John's gospel. Listen to this. It says, Pilate also uh, wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and Greek. Well, this is important. The Romans did this for a reason. Look, this is where this guy's from. He's from Nazareth. This is who he is. This is what his crime is. In Jesus' case, he's the king of the Jews. And it's in these three languages for a reason. It's in Aramaic because that was the common language of the Jews. So that every religious Jew who walked by would read that and know exactly what it says. It was written in Latin because that's the legal language. The Romans spoke Latin. And so it was to show every citizen, this is what's happening here. This is how strong Rome is. We can conquer the king of the Jews. And it was written in Greek for the common person. So every common person who walked by would see, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. I want you to think about this. Jesus is enduring this cross with this sign over his head so that every single passerby could say, we know who that is. Maybe you're one of those cynics today. And Jesus would say to you, do you know who I am? Do you know why I endured, I endured this? Lastly, we see Jesus comforts the faithful. 
And verse 39, here's what we read. It says, one of the criminals who had hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, there's a contrast between these two criminals that we're going to see. And one of the contrasts here, of course, is that this one becomes bitter and blasphemous. Now, the gospel tells us that both of them at first were throwing these insults at, insults at Jesus. But Luke wants us to see the contrast. And so Luke wants us to see that there was this first one who, as he's suffering, the same agony that Jesus is suffering, bar the three hours of darkness, which we'll talk about in a minute, as he's going through this, he's thinking, okay, if you're supposed to be this powerful one, why don't you save us? If you're someone special, save us. In other words, as he's suffering, what's coming out of his heart? Bitterness and blasphemy. One of the privileges of walking with people that are suffering who believe in Jesus, as I've got to do this week, is seeing not this come out, but seeing humility, seeing desperation. But let's be honest. Probably all of us at different times, as Jesus followers, when we've suffered, what's come out of us? Bitterness and blasphemy. And what about those of us who aren't sure if we want to be Jesus followers? Isn't that often the reason we're cynical? We're cynical because we wonder, is God really care? If there's a good God, why does he allow so much suffering? Bitterness, blasphemy. But again, there's two thieves, isn't there? Because what happens with the other one? As the one uh, puts forth this, the other, verse 40 says, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since we are under the same sentence of condemnation. Put it bluntly, he's saying, dude, we're going to die right here. Are you not sober about death? Do you have any sense of the fact that we're about to face our maker? What are you thinking? Sometimes we look at suffering and we think, this, this can't be right. This is, it's unjust. It's wrong. And, you know, sometimes suffering isn't because, oftentimes suffering isn't because of what we've done directly. It's just living in a broken world. But one of the great graces about when we suffer is it, it really it lines up our priorities. It helps us to think straight. We begin to think about what's actually really important in life. What matters most? This man was having this kind of epiphany. In verse 41, it says, he says, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, he recognizes, he has this humility and this repentance that's coming up in his heart. As he's suffering for his crimes, he knows he's guilty. He knows he's about to face his maker. He's humbled by that. He's humbled by that. One of the things that the Lord wants us to see with the cross is he wants us to see that God allows suffering for good reasons. There's good that God promises to bring out of suffering. Listen, you might go, I don't want it. I don't buy it. Suffering's just wrong. Suffering's just bad. Okay, if you don't believe in a God who's over it, what hope do you have? If we don't have, have a God who enters into our suffering, who understands our suffering, who suffers with us, who's wanting to humble us through our suffering, what other hope do you have? 
I don't say that to be insensitive. I say that to say, let God do the work he wants to do through your suffering. Now, Luke is contrasting these two thieves, these two criminals. One's hardened, one's softened by the same suffering. But also, he's wanting to show this, there's a bridge between two worlds. Because what happens? He's humbled. This thief on the cross, he's humbled by what's happened. He knows he deserves his own execution. But he says of Jesus, verse 41, but this man has done nothing wrong. You know what this means? This means at least that, that he believes that Jesus not only deserves to be, doesn't deserve to be crucified, but that the things that he says about himself and the rumors that he says about himself and the placard over his head is accurate. This is indeed the king of the Jews. And so what does he say? Verse 42, he says to the man, or the man says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We don't know absolutely for sure, but there's a really good chance that both these thieves on either side of Jesus are Jewish men. They're probably not Roman citizens, we know that. And, and so there's probably a situation here where he's thinking, he knows enough about the Jewish faith to believe there is such a thing as a resurrection. That there's a, the end of days when God will resurrect all people and there's a judgment. And so it's probably that he's thinking, okay, I, Jesus is this Messiah. He's got to be because nobody's been as good as this guy. No one's been as gracious as this man. So he has to be the Messiah. And so, so, so he's thinking to himself, okay, when the resurrection comes, you have to be the one that brings the judgment. So please remember me. Please think of me. The idea of calling for God or the Messiah to remember us is not like he's forgetful, more of keep me in your mind, let me stay in your heart, let me be yours. And what does Jesus say to him? He, he says, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, and Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Because how can Jesus, if he's the just one, the innocent one, if he cares about justice, if he cares about all the, the people that had been crucified previously, specifically those who were, who were crucified unjustly, if he cares about the rapes and the pedophilia, if he cares about the, the, the Roman oppression, if he cares about the violence if he cares about the thievery, if he actually cares about justice, how can he say to a criminal, no worries, you'll be in paradise today? How can he say that and be just? He can only say that if through his death, listen, he's bringing justice. We sang about the three hours of darkness. Luke doesn't record this, but the other gospels do, in that three hours of darkness... Darkness in the scripture always points to judgment. And that three hours of darkness, what we are meant to see in the gospel accounts is God judging the world in his own son. God himself, God the son, that's who Jesus is, absorbing the justice, the sin, on himself so he could forgive us. So he could obviously render us innocent. You see, here, here's the thing that we need to recognize, okay? 
Good Friday is only good because of the good it accomplishes. It's only good because of the good that he is. That's the only reason it's good. It's not right that Jesus was crucified for us, but it's good. It's not right that injustice continues to happen, but we know a good God who will make it right. And here's where we land. We land at a place where we have to decide afresh today that we want to worship this Jesus who didn't stay dead. Because after he was taken off the cross, he was put into the grave, also fulfilling prophecy. Talk about that on Sunday. And on the third day, he raises from the dead. He rises from the dead, guaranteeing everything that he accomplished on the cross would happen. Guaranteeing that we can be forgiven. Guaranteeing that, that, that all that is wrong will be made right. That's why Good Friday is good. This is the scripture I want to close with, also from Luke's gospel. Jesus had told the parable between a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector who had been a despised sinner among the Jews especially. And the Pharisee, of course, says, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other people. I'm not bad. I'm good is basically what he's praying. But the tax collector wouldn't even raise his eyes. He wouldn't even get near to the temple. But it says the tax collector standing far off would not lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. Just like the thief on the cross. You can pray that prayer only if you believe that God is good. You can only pray that prayer if you believe that God is good. I'm going to encourage you today to pray that prayer fresh. God have mercy on me, a sinner. But don't pray it looking forward to somehow God making things right. Pray it looking back to how God has already made things right. Because when Christ died on the cross, he already paid for all your sins, past, present, future. When Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, he already guaranteed a way that you could be rendered innocent. God views you in Christ innocent. This is why we go to the Lord's table so we remember communion. So the, the music team's gonna come back up. And what we're gonna do is there should be a little communion cup on your chair. Hopefully you're not sitting on it. Um, these are fiddly little cups, just to give you a warning. If you're visiting with us today, you're still welcome to take communion with us. Here's the only thing that, that the scripture requires if you're going to take communion. You have to be someone who truly believes in Jesus. If you don't believe that Christ died on a cross for you, that he was paying the penalty of your sins, that he was providing for your forgiveness, then communion isn't much. Wait for a hot cross bun, much more satisfying. But if you believe, if you believe, if you believe, even with all your cynicism, even with all your crime, that Christ died for you, 
then communion is about us remembering what he did together. So we're going to just take a couple minutes to be still before the Lord. Josh is going to just play some music in the background. Feel free to get your cup prepared. And let's just take a couple minutes to think about the goodness of our Savior. Amen.